This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey, juicers. I'm Brooke. And I'm Melissa. And this is... For God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. Welcome back to episode 29. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we begin um, our cases today, um, we just have a little bit of business to talk about. And um, this is our like fourth time re-recording this episode. So um, I've literally said this like... <laughs> four times now but anyways um so Brooke and I have decided to um start video recording us recording the Mm -hmm. episode um because a lot of you have requested a visual yes a visual um so that's what we're doing this episode and our plan is to start a patreon and to post the the video to patreon So, um, if you're not familiar with what Patreon is, because I was not, I'm going to let Alyssa explain it a little bit. So Patreon is basically where, um, people who support podcasts or YouTube channels or literally it could be anything like that. Um, they basically like donate money to help, um, the costs of yeah, the cost of like production and, you know, to get better equipment and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, usually it's pretty cheap. A lot of um, podcasts have different tiers. Like there's like a $2 tier, $5 tier, 10 20 $25. And it's like a monthly thing, right? Yeah, it's monthly. And so um, they offer, you know, special things on Patreon that you couldn't get on like Spotify or youtube or whatever it is like two dollars a month you get pictures of our smiling faces a hundred dollars a month you get nudes right so it's basically only fans and jk <laughs> <laughs> sorry to disappoint <laughs> <laughs> um but anyways um so you wouldn't just be donating money you would be getting something in return like this video that you might be watching right now and bloopers and things of that nature yes. things that behind the scenes kind of shit so. right or you know we might send out stickers you know mm-hmm. those kind of things so. you're getting something in return for your donation exactly so you're not just giving us money and then we're like thanks <laughs> bye <Right. laughs> yeah we're, we're gonna or we, we might do like mini episodes or you know extra That's episodes only accessible to those yeah in that specific tier on patreon right so um if that's something you're interested in actually you know i think we'll make a a post about it on facebook we'd love to know you guys's feedback because i mean y'all are pretty much the backbone of this podcast because without you guys we would just be talking to ourselves (laughs) you're keeping us going and we love you for it right so (laughs) yeah just let us know what you guys think if that's something you'd be interested in um you know this is kind of something me and Brooke want to do as you know not just a hobby you know what I mean like not just for funsies we you know we want to make something out of this podcast and you know to do that we you know do need extra funds so absolutely we'd love to you know not even necessarily make 
like a living off of this, but at least to help out with the costs. And I mean, just for instance, I just had to buy a brand new computer because my laptop just wasn't cutting it. And, you know, just things like that, just to help, you know? Well, I eventually do want to make a living off of this, but... <laughs> That's her goal for sure. I mean, it'd be yeah. nice. Yeah, of course. You know? I mean, it's probably not realistic speaking, but um, that know. is my goal for for our podcast i would eventually like for this to be like a full-time you know thing and with that being said we need uh sponsors yes sponsors. we are still looking for 2021 sponsors um i think we've we've finished everybody from 2020 so this is our last sponsorship uh, or sponsored episode so we are still looking uh for sponsors for the rest of the year um we have posted in our facebook group you know the pricing they're pretty reasonable i think mm-hmm. um but we'll repost that soon because we need more sponsors so if yes. you would like us to uh shout you out you know your business that type of thing we would be happy to yep thank you guys for really being here for us and listening to us and i know we kind of talked about this on the listener juice episode but it still blows my mind that you guys really do like us yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you're not just being nice like you genuinely do like listening to us and you know we're striving to have better audio and mm-hmm. and hopefully know. this episode sounds good because i'm so sorry our last two episodes sucked because they sucked so bad <laughs> the audio was terrible and i think they were great episodes so that fucking blows but yeah i really put my heart and soul into albert fish and that episode just sounded bad and we think it's because um so we were recording on um a desk an hp desktop thingy Mm -hmm. and um it just sucked it kept deleting all of our audio our intro song we were constantly having to re-edit all that and save it to the computer and we've lost literally all of our episodes like we don't have like the listener juice episode that we just recorded is like the only episode that we have saved to the to a computer yeah so it just sucks because that's something that we did want to keep and um so we switched to brooks macbook air and with those you have to buy an adapter to plug our audio interface into it or even just a flash drive and we think that that is the reason why it was so quiet. I don't think that it could handle the audio interface the way that it needed to because Brooke ended up buying just like, you know, a whole ass Mac computer because rich and um, <laughs> not rich. <laughs> I'm joking. But um, anyways, um, it's been perfectly fine. Like, actually, I think this is the best our audio has ever sounded. I, so. and, um, fingers crossed it sounds that way once we get it uploaded so yeah i think our we did listen to a little snippet of our listener juice and that sounded really good yes it so. did sound really good i was very i actually texted scotty and i was like our listener juice episode sounds phenom is he listening now or was he gonna wait until tomorrow i'm sure he'll wait till tomorrow okay yeah. <laughs> but i'm excited about that and i'm excited for this episode to mm-hmm. hopefully sound good too mm-hmm all right is that everything uh, i think that's it for now um another quick congratulations to jamie carter for winning our t-shirt giveaway that was fun appreciate you guys that entered 
um hopefully we can do another one i think she said she wanted the snatched yeah she did okay so we'll get that out to you asap you guys go check them out our merch is cool yes storefrontier.com slash don't drink the jones juice we've got i don't know six to eight different designs We've got tie-dye, you know, any color shirt you can think of. We've got masks. We've got children's tees, uh, hoodies. So uh, you can also support us in that way by our merchandise. Yeah. Okay. Also, before we begin, I do want to ask you guys something because me and Brooke have kind of gone back and forth with this for a while now because I feel like we kind of have differing views on this particular subject, but I want to know y'all's opinion about... Um, how much we kind of talk throughout the episode like if we kind of talk too much in the beginning if you don't really give a shit about hearing about our personal lives um, I'd really like to get y'all's opinion because I personally think that when I listen to podcasts I like to get to know the hosts and like know about their lives and stuff I like to hear updates and that kind of stuff but if like you guys hate that (laughs) we kind of do feel differently about it because i kind of feel like when i'm listening to a podcast if they're just kind of blabbering i'm like skip 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 like i just want to get to business you know so we do feel differently about it but um we want to do what you guys want to hear yes so i mean i don't mind a little bit here and there you know what i mean Mm. but if it's like a whole 15 minutes of just i did this you know on the podcast to me like okay it's weird because like when I listen to Morbid, I don't really care too much to hear about their banter in the beginning. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I will sit through it and I will listen to it. And I'm, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, wow, that's really cool. Right. Um, but the podcast and that's why we drink. I love listening to their beginning. I mean, sometimes it's like 30 minutes of them just talking about their lives. And I don't know why. I just love to hear <laughs> about their lives. It just makes it more relatable, I guess. I care more about the information in Morbid. I feel like they have better information. Mm-hmm. Um, but I prefer the banter and whatnot. And, and that's why we drink. So you guys just let us know what you think. And we'll try to Feelings accommodate. won't be hurt regardless. Mine might be a little bit. Oh, but stop. <laughs> this is the kind of podcast I want. But I do want you guys to enjoy like every aspect of our podcast. So yeah, absolutely. Just let us know. We're going to make a post about Patreon and then a post about we'll, we'll make a poll, a okay. poll for our banter. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready to get on into this? You all. Okay. So wait, what guys? What? what? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You said, are you guys ready? Like, they're going to answer. Well, I'm just trying to be inclusive, okay? (laughs) Just include them. I'm including them, okay? They're listening. If they're not ready, they could be like, oh, let me just pause it really fast. (laughs) True that. Yeah. Okay. So, are you guys ready? Excluding Brooke, because she has no choice. Everybody say, yeah. (laughs) On the count of three. One, One, two, two, three. three. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if anybody just did that. Dude, I really hope you guys did. If you didn't, I'm going to be very upset. Okay, so I am doing... Okay, I... As always, because I am a just horrible human being that doesn't do proper research. How do you... Is her name Nancy Spungen? Yes. Okay, so it is Spungen. Okay, so I'm doing the uh, possible murder of nancy spongen by the basis of the sex pistols sid vicious 
I am super excited about this because they remind me of like Kurt and Courtney. I think yeah, they were yeah. like the Kurt and Courtney of like what the seventies. No, they it really 80s. the whole time I was doing this, I was like, this is basically just Kurt and Courtney. Yeah, absolutely. Literally. Except like they didn't. Well, well, that's to be uh, speculated on, but uh, just very toxic. Rock and roll, drug, heroin specifically. Both of them were heroin. Yeah. Yeah. So there's heroin in this. There's there's possible murder. There's you know Mm -hmm. erratic behavior. There's toxic love. Yes. Obsession. And I wasn't exactly sure how to go about this because the murder part, quote unquote, is just so short. There's not much detail. They really didn't investigate it. They don't really even know if it was a murder. Yeah. And you'll figure, or we will talk more about that like later on. But so I kind of just started with Nancy's life and then um, like from birth up until she meets Sid and then from Sid's life from birth up until he meets Nancy and then it goes into like about their relationship and um the day that everything kind of fell apart yeah so um and then we have theories on what could have happened okay so hopefully this is organized really well and you guys can understand it and enjoy it so i got my sources from a rolling stone article wikipedia and um biography.com so so nancy spongen was born february 27th 1958 in philadelphia to frank and deborah spongen okay so when nancy was born she kind of had a rough start like from the get-go it was bad so when she was born she suffered severe I also meant to look up this pronunciation. Um, Cyanosis, I think is what it is. It's C-Y-A-N-O-S-I-S, which is basically um, the bluish or purplish discoloration of the skin or mucous membranes membranes due to the tissue near the skin surface having low oxygen saturation. Interesting. And she had this because when she was born, so, you know, umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck during birth so the doctor said that she didn't suffer any brain damage and discharged her from the hospital eight days later because a lack of oxygen from the brain can cause brain damage yeah um so her family was a middle-class jewish family in lower moreland township and that's just a suburb in philadelphia Her father was a traveling salesman, and her mother would later own um, an organic food store called The Earth Shop, which I think is super cute. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Nancy was a hard baby and a hard child. Like, from birth, she did not fucking stop screaming. Wow. Like, she just constantly screamed and cried. And, like, through tantrums. And it was, like, above average for a baby. It was, like, like, like not normal. <clears throat> Eek. Yeah. And so, when she was only three months old, okay, three months old, her doctor prescribed her a liquid um, barbiturate 
mm-hmm. but it did nothing to help her violent behavior. Oh, wow. At three months old, like she must have been just very hard to deal with for, but I mean, this was also, you know, way back then. So mm-hmm. who knows what they did, but Deborah, um, her mother once said in an interview, I know it's normal for babies to scream, but Nancy did nothing but scream. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Throw the whole kid away. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Ugh. So at the age of five, Nancy scored superior on an intelligence quotient wow. test. Yeah. Um, and she was allowed to skip the third grade because of it. She excelled academically, but hardly had any friends throughout elementary school. So, hmm. Outcast. She, yeah, pretty much. Um, she was extremely temperamental and showed a lot of violent behavior to her younger sister, Susan, but was like very caring and like, you know, like motherly towards her younger brother, David. Hmm. It was like night and day difference. Yeah. So weird. She once threatened to kill a babysitter with scissors and attempted to batter her psychiatrist when he accused her of acting out for attention. Holy cow. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) At the age of 11, Nancy was expelled from school for missing more than two weeks of school. At 11. At 11. Raise your hand if you know an 11-year-old who's been expelled from school. (laughs) Not I. (laughs) So, with all this erratic behavior, her parents decided to enroll her to Duvereau Glanholm School in Connecticut and at Duvereau Manor High School in Pennsylvania. In January of 1972, Nancy ran away from Duvereau Manor and attempted suicide by slitting her wrist with scissors. Gosh. At the age of 15, her psychiatrist diagnosed her with schizophrenia. So, at 15, this is... Mm, that's pretty rough. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. Probably from the lack of oxygen to her brain. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, how her upbringing was and, like, what kind of parents she had and, you know? I don't know. It, they really didn't say. Like, they didn't really say much about SIDS either, except mm-hmm. that her mother, his mother was, like, a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. But, and the, you know, we'll, we'll learn later, but... Um, the other was not really much about, I mean, cause they couldn't really interview them and ask them personally, right. like, how was your parents towards you? Yeah. So, um, two years later in 1974, she graduated from Lakeside High School and was accepted to the University of Colorado. She was only 16 when she started attending the university, but five months into her freshman year, she was arrested for purchasing marijuana from an undercover cop. Of course she was. Yeah, which is not the worst thing that she has done. So, sucks that that's the one that got her in jail. And she was 16 at this university. Just want to reiterate that. And later, she was arrested for storing stolen property in her dorm room. So, the University of Colorado expelled her, and her father traveled there and agreed to a plea bargain for Nancy, which resulted in her being banished from the state of Colorado. Holy cow. Which, I mean, what she did wasn't really that bad, so I don't understand why. Banished from the state 
looks nuts. That's what it said. When she was 17, she left her home and moved to New York City. She started working as a stripper and a sex worker. Um, she would follow bands, you know, kind of like a groupie, mm-hmm. such as Aerosmith, Bad Company, the New York Dolls, and the Ramones. She was regarded as loud, mm-hmm. obnoxious, and unlikable by other groupies. Mm-hmm. But she was accepted by the musicians, mostly because she was able to get them heroin. Oh, so. I was going to say that or she was putting out. Probably both. <laughs> yeah. But it, the the uh, article said heroin, so that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to go with. In 1977, Nancy moved to London and met the Sex Pistols. She originally tried to get with Johnny Rotten, who was the vocalist, but was ultimately not wanted by him, so she turned her attention to the bassist, Sid Vicious. And not long after this, the two moved in together. So now we're going to talk about Sid Vicious. And I do not care for the Sex Pistols at all. Yeah. Not my type of music, but Scotty loves them. My boyfriend, Brooks brother loves them he has Sid Vicious tattooed on his arm so literally I mostly did this just for him because he's requested it before (laughs) and I had no idea about any of this until he told me about it so Sid Vicious was born Simon John Ritchie 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 on May 10th 1957 to John and Anna His mother had dropped out of school at an early age due to a lack of academic success and joined the British Army. This is where she met Sid's father, who was a guardsman at the Buckingham Palace and a semi-professional trombone player on the London jazz scene. Hmm. Yeah. So after Sid was born, his mother and him moved to Ibiza and waited for Sid's father to meet up with them um and like while him and his mother were living there his father was supposed to be like sending them checks and financially supporting him them until he could you know get there right but whenever um like the checks weren't arriving Sid's mom was like okay he's not gonna come yeah so sad so in 1965 and married a man named Christopher Beverly, and the the family moved back to Kent. And only six months after their marriage, Christopher died from cancer. Oh. Yeah. So kind of after this, um, Sid and his mom just kind of bounced around a few places. He went to a few different schools. You know, nothing too unremarkable happened. Mm-hmm. Until um, 1973, Sid met John... Lydon, Lydon, L-Y-D-O-N, Lydon, I think, who was the lead singer of the Sex Pistols and went by the name of Johnny Rotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so he met him at Hackney Technical College. And Johnny Rotten described Sid at this time as a David Bowie fan and a closed hound. Whatever that means. So do you want to know how Sid Vicious got his name? Yeah. Do you know? Oh, no, I don't know. No? Okay. So, Johnny Rotten had a hamster, right? Named uh-huh. Sid. And one day when 
Sid was holding the hamster. Sid, the hamster bit his hand and Sid said, um, uh, Sid is really vicious. So Johnny was like, that's your name. Sid Sid vicious. I named you after my hamster, Sid, who bit you and you called him vicious. Um, Okay. But Johnny Rotten described his hamster as the softest, furriest, weediest thing on earth. (laughs) (laughs) Sid vicious. That's how he got his name after a hamster. Yes. Nice. Um, So Sid had been squatting at John Rotten's place like around this time. And this is so weird. So there was Sid, whose real name is John. Mm -hmm. Johnny Rotten, whose real name is John. Then they had two roommates named John Joseph Wardle and John Gray. Wow. So they were called. Yeah. They were literally called as they were literally called the four Johns. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. How do four Johns? I mean, imagine like living here and somebody being like, hey, John. And then everybody's head. That's so weird. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine like getting a place with four, you know, three other girls and all of your names are Alyssa. Like what? I could not, dude. (laughs) They would probably have to go by like last name, middle name, or like in Sid's case, Sid. (sighs) Excuse me. Yeah. Also, okay. If I was like holding somebody's hamster and they bit me and I said, wow, Sid is vicious. And then the other person was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to call you. Sid vicious. I'd be like, the fuck you're not. (laughs) (laughs) No. (sighs) But here we are. So Johnny Rotten and Sid would busk for money. Sid would play the tambourine and they would also do Alice Cooper covers. And apparently people would like throw them money so they'd stop playing oh yeah wow. <laughs> so um obviously considering the end to this um it wasn't always fun and games with sid sid's darker personality started to appear when he assaulted nme journalist nick kent with a motorbike chain with the help from John. Jeez. Yeah. Not Johnny Rotten. I what's his last name? One of the Johns. Yeah, one, it was a Waddle or something. Yeah, it's one of the one of the Johns. <clears throat> Another time at the Speakeasy, which was a London nightclub that like like rock stars and rockers used to hang out at. Mm-hmm. Um, he threatened a DJ and um old gray whistle test presenter bob harris and they didn't really say what he threatened them with or about but it happened so i'm telling you (laughs) (laughs) in 1976 said vicious began his musical career in the band the flowers of romance along with keith levine paul molive and viv albertine like paul molive yeah like the dishwashing soap yeah, but like it's somebody's name. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was Palm Olive <laughs> is his name. It was literally. I'm sure it's a nickname. Okay. I'm sure it is, but I'm just like, why do you guys have to have these weird names? Like, just be normal, okay? Sid played drums for Susie and the Banshees for their first gig at the 100 Club Punk Festival. According to the band The Damned, 
Sid was considered for the lead singer along with Dave Vanian, but he failed to show up for the audition. Sid, though, has a different story about that. Apparently, um, he claims that Dave Vanian and the other members had intentionally withheld information about the audition as an act of jealousy against Sid to ensure that he, you know, wouldn't come to the audition. And this led Sid to have a huge grudge against the band. And um, during the dam's performance at day two of the 100 Club Punk special, <laughs> such a mouthful, <laughs> which was also the day after his debut with Susie and the Banshees, he hurled his glass at the stage. Um, he was aiming for Dave, but he missed, and the glass hit a pillar, shattered. Oh. And blinded a girl in one eye. Holy shit. Yeah, and it was reported that Sid was heavily under the influence of alcohol and amphetamines. And of course, he was arrested the next day and sent to Ashford Rimmond Center. Vivian Westwood and Viv Alberton. Albertine? I don't know. Guys, I don't know. Okay. Um, They visited Sid and even brought him Helter Skelter. You know what that is? Mm-hmm. The book? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, if you guys don't know, it's just a book about the Manson family murders. Uh, Sid was asked to join the Sex Pistols after Glenn Matlock left the band in February 1977. They asked him to join because he was present at every gig. Um, their manager, Malcolm McLaren, said, If Johnny Rotten is the voice of punk, then vicious is the attitude. McLaren also stated that if he had met Sid before Johnny Rotten, then he would have been the front man of the Sex Pistols. Hmm. Um, Alan Jones described Sid as having the iconic punk look. Sid, on image alone, is what all punk rests on. Yep. And he did look very punk. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we kind of know a little bit about their personal lives before meeting each other yeah yeah um so now we're just gonna kind of jump into their super toxic relationship so nancy viewed sid as a naturally shy soul someone who could endure her and her rough edges sounds just like kurt and courtney yeah but she also loved that sid was making his way to fame hmm just like Kurt and Courtney. Right. Uh, so Sid found the opposite with Nancy. Malcolm McLaren wrote on the Daily Beast, Nancy taught Sid all about sex and drugs and the lifestyle of a New York rocker. So she had a big influence on Sid. Mm-hmm. Someone said that one time Nancy had told Sid to push a fan groupie a fan groupie a groupie who who was like just you know fawning all over him and just you know very enamored by Sid Vicious um she told him to push that groupie down the stairs at a club and he did it like instantly without a second thought and that just kind of goes to show their interesting dynamic here like Mm -hmm. you know um Nancy tells him to do stuff no matter how bad it is or whatever and he just does it because it's for nancy nancy Mm -hmm. said to do it Mm -hmm. 
So as said stardom and success, but the Sex Pistols rose, the two of them became inseparable. Like, I'm talking joined at the hip. Like, Nancy did not leave without Sid, and Sid did not leave without Nancy. Mm-hmm. And this becomes very, very problematic in the future. Mm-hmm. So um, they moved into a flat in a West London neighborhood and just sunk deeper and deeper into heavy drug use. And even though Sid loved Nancy, the band hated Nancy. Mm-hmm. They could not stand Nancy. Mm-hmm. Um, McLaren admitted one time to trying to have her kidnapped and put on a plane <laughs> back to New York. But because Sid and Nancy were always together, like they, the plane was her alone to yeah. do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but the band was able to get Nancy banned from their U.S. tour in January of 78, which caused Sid to go insane. Like, he was not okay with this at all. He behaved erratically and even smashed an audience member over the head with his bass while in Dallas. Wow. Yeah. And see, to me... That just goes to show how toxic their relationship is. Because I've been really attached to people before, but I would not act this way if, mm-hmm. you know, like I couldn't bring them on tour. And I, I know that sucks, like having your girlfriend banned from your tour. But like, clearly there's good reason too. you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't just because Nancy's annoying and loud and yeah. obnoxious or whatever. Um, it's probably because like she's not good for him, you know. Yeah, she sounds like a psycho. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So January fourth, the band dismembered due to Sid's erratic behavior. This tour showed just how poorly he functioned without Nancy. He went on a bender that led to a methadone overdose, and he was hospitalized in Queens, New York. Tour manager Neil Stevenson told People, Sid began to dislike everything except heroin and Nancy. Which, again, shows how toxic. Mm-hmm. After his discharge from the hospital, he was reunited with Nancy. The two traveled to Paris to film the Pistols mockumentary, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. But Sid would usually just stay in his hotel room and shoot up heroin (laughs) instead of filming. If he ever did leave his room, Nancy would show him just how not okay that was for him to do. Um, The director of the mockumentary, Julian Temple, said, I remember coming back one day and she'd cut her wrist. There was blood all over the bed, and she'd faked up a suicide attempt to really make Sid feel that he shouldn't leave her. Oh, my goodness. Even for a few hours to do any filming. Oh. So, she literally, literally faked. What a manipulating bitch. Dude, it's so bad. It's so bad. Like, that is just... I don't know how you stay with somebody after that. Mm. Um. So, after this whole fiasco... In August of 1978, Nancy and Sid moved to New York City and paid for a hotel room at the Chelsea Chelsea Hotel in Manhattan. At this point, uh, Nancy was 
acting as Sid's manager and would get him gigs in the Lower East Side areas, kind of like places she used to go to when she lived here. Where she could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> She's, she, ser- um, she served as Sid's spokesperson when he was too stoned to communicate in media appearances. Um, on the night of October 11th, while partying in their hotel room, this is where things get bad, even worse. Sid swallowed 30 tablets of, um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but basically it's a potent barbiturate mix and this made him comatose for most of the night. Eek. And this is a far greater dose than like anyone should be able to survive. Like you took it, I took it, we'd be dead. Mm-hmm. But he just had such a tolerance cuz yeah, he's a drug addict. Right. Um so at 2:30 a.m., Nancy asked Rockets Red Glare, who was sometimes a bodyguard for Sid, and he also sold drugs, to get some Dilaudid, which is an opioid opioid painkiller. <clears throat> um, around 7.30 a.m., female moans were heard from their room by other guests in the hotel. At 10 a.m., Sid called down to the front desk asking for help. A bellman went to the room to check it out and discovered Nancy in her underwear on the floor and bleeding profusely from a knife wound to her abdomen. Sid was found wandering the halls in a dazed state, wailing about how he had killed her. He told this confession to the police before recanting and insisting that he didn't remember anything about that night. He was arrested and charged with murder. Um, so Sid was eventually freed on a $25,000 bail and attempted suicide a few days later by slitting his wrists. Jeez. Yeah. Um, but a short time later, his bail was revoked after he assaulted Patty Smith's brother, Todd Smith, with a broken Heineken bottle while in a New York City bar. Uh, he was sent to Rikers Island Prison Complex and re- and was released on a $10,000 bail. So, obviously, he's just kind of on an emotional roller coaster right now. Mm-hmm. Just dealing with Nancy's death and, you know, being charged with murder. And I'm sure he's feeling very, very erratic. Yeah. So, after he was released, Sid and his friends had a party at the apartment of his new girlfriend what michelle robinson his mother ann beverly was in new york city and got some drugs for the party his mother his mother she was a heroin addict Mm. she got guess what heroin um on february 2nd 1979 at the age of 21 sid was found dead of a heroin overdose by his mother and michelle oh Police found a syringe, a spoon, and a substance near Sid's body. You know, I did not realize that he was so young. And Nancy was only 20. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just looking at pictures of them, especially Nancy, you would have thought she was like in her 30s. She looked rough. That was like, 
I guess that's what drugs and alcohol and just a oh, yeah. hard life do to you. Honestly, though, I don't feel like Sid looked that young either. No, but not as old as she as she did. She did look like she was. She was rough. Yeah, she did look very rough. Twenty. Oh, yeah. I would have never thought. Yeah, it's sad to people, especially Sid, who could have had a you know super great career with the Sex Pistols tied up with that mess. I'm sure if he never would have met Nancy, he would. I mean, he had problems of his own, clearly. Clearly. But, but she was no help. And, you know, the band said that, you know, Nancy kind of helped fuel their heroin addiction. Oh, like, yeah. They said that she was really the main reason why hero- heroin was so prevalent mm-hmm. in the band. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But... um there are a lot of theories about what had actually happened that night and a lot of people are convinced that Sid did not kill her. One theory is that Nancy was stabbed during a robbery or drug deal gone bad. Another theory being that maybe she stabbed herself in order to manipulate Sid. I mean, she did fake a suicide attempt by slitting her wrists. But he didn't he admit he did it? Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. <clears throat> But because Sid was so strung out, like, he couldn't help her, so she just bled out and died, and maybe that would explain why he thought he killed her, because he couldn't help her, because he's so strung out. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Um, The 2009 documentary, Who Killed Nancy, suggests that Sid couldn't have killed her because he was knocked out from all the pills he had taken. Malcolm McLaren doesn't believe that Sid killed Nancy. He was adamant in a piece in the Daily Beast that Sid would not kill Nancy unless her death was a botched double suicide. Hmm. He said, she was his first and only love of his life. I am positive about Sid's innocence. He also notes how money was stolen from the room while Sid was passed out on the bed. Another theory is that Rocket's red glare killed Nancy. Phil Strongman, who wrote the book Pretty Vacant, A History of Punk, theorizes that nancy confronted red glare when he tried to steal cash from the room so he stabbed her in the stomach and considering sid pretty much looked like he was dead yeah on the bed probably just was like fuck it yeah uh he stole more cash he wrote and he being phil strongman nancy saw the attempted theft and flew at him nails flying and copped a bowie knife in her lower abdomen nancy slumped to the floor immediately with no one standing in the way red glare took everything but pocket change and left behind what he believed to be two corpses you may um talk about this but do you have anything about like the letter they found in sid's pocket when he was dead i did not see anything about that yeah when they found him dead i literally read three articles they never said anything really yeah yeah there was and i wish i knew it you know could quote it but i know it said something about like bury me next to my baby type thing yeah so uh i'm about to look that up yeah that'd be a good thing to throw in there about that note but yeah there was a note in his pocket when they found him just maybe google like said vicious note in pocket suicide i don't know um so ooh, so 
His mother claimed that after Vicious was cremated, she found a handwritten note in the pocket of Vicious's leather jacket. It read, we had a death pact yes. and I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Mm-hmm. The death pact thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Ugh, chills. Maybe. I mean, may, that doesn't even really, I mean, it does kind of insinuate maybe it was supposed to be a double suicide, mm-hmm. but. That's what made me think about it. But also, like, it could have been like, you know, if you are ever to die, you have to or I have uh, to die with you, right. pretty much. I don't know. To me, it sounds more like a we had a death pact together to go together type thing. Yeah. You know? Yep. I don't and know. And so maybe he did stab her and then he was going to... Kill himself. Yeah. Or maybe she stabbed herself. I mean, it, yeah. it never even says anything about looking for fingerprints on the knife. Right. And the knife was left in her. Oof. So it's like... I think everybody just assumed he did it. Yeah. I mean, he came into the hallway saying he did. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to investigate it when you have somebody admitting that they did it. Right. And they were in the room with this person. Yeah. I don't know. So, um, Phil Strongman also says that in January of 1978, Red Glare was heard confessing about the theft and murder at the punk rock club CBGB's. Strongman wrote, Rocket's Red Glare casually admitted to several fellow drinkers that it was actually he who'd robbed and stabbed Nancy and produced a handful of her bloodstained dollars to prove it. Mm. So it could have been him too. And you know, Sid could have been like, wow, I killed Nancy because I was strung out and passed out. You know, or, you know, he was so strung out that maybe he had no idea what happened and thought he killed her. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that, because, you know, drugs alter your mind like crazy. Absolutely. Anything could have happened. Mm-hmm. Anything. Um, so, like I said, Nancy's death was never really investigated. Ellen Polk, who was the photographer, told The Independent, there were a lot of dangerous people hanging around them both back then. If he hadn't died and the case went to trial, Sid may well have been acquitted. And in 2014, Johnny Rotten claimed that he felt responsible for Sid's death because, like, he let him join the band. He said he didn't stand a chance. And that's just so sad. Yeah. And that's... The death of Nancy, Nancy, <laughs> Nancy Spungen, Nancy Spungen, and the possible murderer, Sid Vicious. So it's a good one. I'm sure Scotty will enjoy that. I hope so. He'll probably be listening and be like, "You're pronouncing all these names wrong, <laughs> and like, um, nah. you have things wrong." Even though I literally looked at three different articles, um, if it's wrong blame wikipedia and rolling stone and biography.com because i think you did a nice job thank you you're welcome so do you want to take a quick break yep listen to a little uh sponsorship thingamajigger and we'll be back we'll be back Have you been thinking about buying your first home or selling your current one? What about finding the perfect piece of land to build your forever home on? Kimberly Blankenship with Pinnacle Realtors is ready to answer any questions you may have and help you with all of your real estate needs. Give her a call at 706-809-0110 
Again, call Kimberly Blankenship with Pinnacle Realtors at 706-809-0110. Alrighty guys, welcome back to part two of episode 29. This will be the story of the Broken Arrow killings. This is a story, surprisingly enough, that I did not know about until I was randomly scrolling, just looking at crimes one day. And I was like, whoa, I put this one in my notes. I've got this whole like a hundred different cases I want to cover type thing in my notes. And, uh, Anyway, this is one of them, so I started doing my research, got super interested, and here it is. I'm excited for this because I don't recognize the the name of it. It is Cray Cray. So, on the night of July 22nd, 2015, brothers Michael and Robert Bevan butchered both of their parents and three of their younger siblings in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. This was just outside of Tulsa. So we're going to get right into the gruesome because that's all there really is to it. Oh my God. So around 11 p.m., Crystal, who was the boy's 13-year-old sister, came to 16-year-old Michael and 18-year-old Robert's shared bedroom to relay a message from their mother who wanted them to wash the dishes. Crystal said that her brothers were in their room trying on body armor which she thought was kind of weird, but she had seen it before, so she just didn't really think a whole lot of it. Body armor? Body armor. Body armor? Yeah. Like, what kind of body armor? Like, I'm going to combat body armor. Okay. Yeah. So, should we do it now? She said one of the brothers asked as she left the room. She turned back to see what they wanted and said, well, I'm here now. What do you want? Michael tells her to look at something on the computer screen. Then Robert comes up behind her and slits her throat with a knife. His own mother? No, this is his sister. Oh, his sister. Yeah, his sister. His own sister? Yes, his 13-year-old sister. She goes in the room to ask the boys to wash the dishes for mom. And the younger brother says, look at this on the computer. Older brother comes up behind her, slits her throat. Oh my god so crystal said that she didn't realize what was happening at first i'm sure she was just in such shock wait did she survive yes oh wow so she said later in court it just felt like metally like i could taste it oh as she collapsed robert continued slashing and stabbing at her on her arms chest and shoulders well i'm surprised she survived mm-hmm she fought back and she somehow escaped the brother's bedroom. Wow, with a slit throat oh and, and, and stab wounds everywhere. What a trooper, dude. Yes. So at first she runs toward her bedroom, hoping that she could get to the phone. And then she decided to run out of the front yard instead, uh, into the front yard. Somewhere along the way, Crystal realizes that an organ is hanging out (gasps) from a gaping hole in her stomach. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, she said, I just kind of held it in my hand. Okay. 
at 13 years old 13 years old holy crap she is so cut up and stabbed there's an organ hanging out of her oh my god so she collapses in the front yard and she's going in and out of consciousness yep she fakes dead as one of her brothers drags her back into the house leaving a thick trail of blood that police officers would later follow to the door oh my gosh at this point, Crystal said that she heard her 12-year-old brother, Daniel, screaming loudly. And she says, that's when I realized what was happening, that they were trying to kill everyone. What a horrible thing to witness yes. and, like, hear. Yes. And you, like, have to play dead because, I mean, you've got organs hanging out. You're yeah. losing a lot of blood. You can't fight back at that There's point. Nothing, you can't even warn them or, like, all of you are going to die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, hearing the madness, the mother, April Bever, who was 44 years old, runs up the stairs. Crystal said she heard her horrified mother screaming, oh my God, oh my God. April was met by 18-year-old Robert, who unleashed at least 48 knife strikes upon his mother. Oh my God. Now, April fought back. Good. So, she got the worst of everyone. An investigator later commented, saying that April suffered from, and I quote, more wounds than I've ever seen in anybody ever. Not good. So April was a stay-at-home mother, and these children, I'll just kind of, we will go into this a little bit further later, but they were very sheltered. It was seven children, mom and dad. They were homeschooled, um, but they did have access to the internet, but they didn't go out very often. Right. Like neighbors said that like they never saw the children, that basically the children weren't allowed to go outside and play. Um, they were just extremely sheltered. Was it also like they were really strict, their parents? Strict and we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, I'll kind of explain that shortly. Okay. But um they like i said they had access to the internet and they were all big computer people right so april bevers was big on reddit she there's a lot you can still go look at her username and see all of her posts and her Mm -hmm. comments so i am gonna read a little post here um that april wrote i believe it was about a month before she was killed So somebody on Reddit wrote a post saying, is remaining child-free the most frugal way to be? To which April responds, I have seven children and we have always lived on one income and have never had any government assistance or needed it. We have a 4,700 square foot house, two newer cars, and my kids do not do without. There are childless people that do not have this. Life is about making a making good job or income choices and then making the best money choices based on your income. I would never give up having any of my children so that I could have more money. They are amazing people and the world will benefit by having them in it. And nothing I could buy or invest could compare to giving a person a chance to have a life. Yikes. Yeah. So she wrote that. that clearly, it sounds like she loves her children. Yeah. Obviously, two of her children didn't love her. Right. So, all the while, somehow, Crystal crawled away to try to protect her younger siblings. And the brothers then moved on room by room. Father David Bever, who was 52 and he was an IT tech, was stabbed 28 times all over his body. He ran down the stairs toward Robert when he heard the commotion, and Robert just let him have it. 
Um, My God. He asked Robert, why are you doing this? To which Robert responded, because I must. So do you get into why they did this? Yes. Okay, because I'm dying to know. Yes. So Michael, who's the younger brother, later told the investigators that Robert stabbed their dad with, and I quote, the biggest knife he had. Wow. So like Mm -hmm. even more personal. Absolutely. This part just kills me. But seven-year-old Christopher and five-year-old Victoria were hiding in a downstairs bathroom terrified yeah i bet poor things (sighs) so michael knocks on the door michael's the younger one remember Mm -hmm. and And how old was he michael was 16 robert was 18 okay michael knocks on the door and pretends to ask for help telling these babies help robert's out to get me the two open the door trusting their brother that they loved with all their heart and soul yeah and both brothers attacked the two younger siblings stabbing them to death god i cannot imagine wanting to do that and actually executing it and doing it yeah and and those babies trusted their older brother and he played them like that to get them to open that door right like just sick 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 christopher the seven-year-old was stabbed six times and victoria the five-year-old was stabbed 18 times oh my god victoria's body was mutilated so badly that internal organs spilled out of her body onto the bathroom floor oh my god their bodies were found huddled together in the bathroom on the first floor both of them were still in their pjs oh my god is that like that kills me that breaks my heart Mm mm-hmm So 12-year-old Daniel manages to lock himself in a room where Mm -hmm. he calls 911 around 1130. He whispered, my brother's attacking my family and reportedly said to someone, please don't murder me. A deeper male voice said, hello. And the operator heard screaming and crying before the line went dead. Oh, my God. The operator traced the phone number to 709 Magnolia Court and police were sent out. Michael had managed to convince his younger brother to open the door by pretending that he was also being attacked by Robert. He did this over and over again to these babies. The brothers came in and stabbed the boy nine times in the back, shoulder, and chest, killing him. Poor baby. Now, there is public record of Daniel's 911 call um, on YouTube, but I did not listen to it because i can't oh i would not either i I can't you literally hear his murder i I can't i'm sure there will be some of you that want to but i I can't do it Mm -mm. so um i think if it weren't for daniel there would have been a lot this would have been a lot worse oh yeah he was able to call 911 so he in a sense saved saved the others yeah so robert then turned his attention back to crystal who was bleeding from her neck arm and stomach wounds and he tries to finish her off by suffocating her detective brett burton of the broken arrow arrow police department told producers that when he responded to the call he could see blood on the sidewalk and on the front step and he heard a faint help me coming from inside oh my god it was crystal the 13 year old was clinging on to life and she told police that her brothers had attacked her family As the police searched the rest of the phone, uh, the rest of the home, they discovered what looked like a scene out of a horror movie. Yeah. 
Blood was on the walls, furniture, anywhere, everywhere that you can imagine. Amazingly enough, April Bever, the mother, was still alive when the first two officers arrived on the scene. Wow. Yeah, 48 stab wounds. Wow. Wow. Yeah. One officer later testified that she reached toward him, like, help me. Yeah. The other officer said that he saw her hands and arms moving at her sides in the family room. But she did, unfortunately, pass away before she could be carried out by the paramedics. Wow, that must have been heartbreaking. Ugh. Ugh. 48 steps and you are still clinging to life yeah so there was another child uh two-year-old autumn she slept peacefully in her crib upstairs unharmed throughout this entire ordeal according to the boys their intention was to cut off autumn's head with an axe but they didn't have the time before police banged on the door and they had to flee the home. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. So the only survivors in this entire ordeal out of nine people were Crystal and her baby sister, Autumn, who was two. Wow. What mm-hmm. is wrong with them? Um, they were going to cut her head off with an axe. Now, I did not put this in my notes, but I listened to another podcast when I was at the gym last night. And um, Michael, the younger brother, is quoted as saying that he spent that entire day with Autumn holding her and just loving on her because he knew that this was about to go down. And we'll later find out Michael actually is the one that to this day feels remorse and guilt about what he did. And my opinion is that Robert really coerced him into this and basically threatened his life if he didn't go along with it. Um, Robert did most of the killings. I believe Michael did stab a few times, but he said that he was stabbing more so to appease Robert and not stabbing to kill his family. So why didn't he just turn his knife on his brother? Oh, because that would have been a tussle. I'm going to be honest with you. mm -hmm. Like if I am with my siblings, you know, I have, there are six of us. Mm -hmm. If my older brother was like, hey, Alyssa, like if you don't help me slaughter our family, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. I would be like, okay, let's do this. And then right when he's not expecting it, stab him because I'm not going to kill my whole family. Mm-hmm. I'd rather die yeah. knowing that I'm trying to protect my my family. I think he idolized his older brother and he would have done anything to make him proud. And that's what he did. Dude, I'm so glad I don't feel that way about a single person on this oh, earth. Yeah. There's nobody I would kill for. I literally, like, there are people I look up to, yeah. but there's nobody that I idolize. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I am that way because Absolutely. you idolize the wrong person and you butcher your family. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So, as I said, Crystal Bever was, uh, she did survive the killings, uh, but she was critically injured from her wounds. Yeah. She underwent surgery at a nearby hospital and was listed in being in serious but stable condition. As the officers continued searching the house, they spotted two figures running out the back and into the woods behind the house. Police dogs quickly cornered the boys. They were covered in blood and even in flesh. Oh. And they were wearing tactical vests. I have pictures, which I will post. You can literally see chunks of flesh on these boys dude i hope they fucking die it's horrible it is horrible obviously they don't but i just wish they would die mm-hmm. another thing that uh i did not put in my notes but i know uh 
Michael, I believe, was attacked by the canine dogs and they kind of tore him up. Like he ended up having to go to the hospital. Good. So, yeah. So on the way to the police station, the brothers were silent and emotionless. Now you asked about a motive. So for the brothers, their goal was fame. They wanted to have articles written about them. They wanted to be feared. Their goal was to kill 500 people believing that act would make them like gods that people would worship them they admired and obsessed over the columbine killings um and cult leader jim jones yeah um so they started with their family yes mm-hmm. okay and what made them want to do that though like what their plan was and this is another thing i don't believe i put in my notes but they were going to kill their family they were going to put them in totes in the attic after they chopped them up and then they were going to go on a killing spree like across the united states like real fucking smart guys like that's totally going to work out for you in your favor like they wanted people to fear them but really everybody just thinks that they're the biggest pieces of shit Mm -hmm. on the planet now another thing i did not put in my notes but um they also because i told you you know they had access to the internet they would order guns and ammunition online and have it sent to their house well i think initially their plan was to shoot their family but what happened was and and they planned on doing this later this just happened this night because they realized the ammunition was going to be at their house Mm -hmm. the next day after the killings and how much trouble they would be in when their parents realized they had ammunition being sent to the house so they said well we've got to do it tonight because otherwise we're in deep shit when the ammunition gets there so imagine that being your thought process right like i'm about to butcher my family but god forbid i get in trouble yeah like Mm -hmm. so the oldest robert bever confessed to committing the murders michael bever's defense repeatedly blamed the older brother for most if not all of the bloodshed and the older brother accepted that blame and he told jurors that he did all the stabbing and slashing while saying he never saw Michael attack anyone. He claimed that he and his brother planned the attack for some time and intended to commit a cross-country shooting spree, hoping that it would outdo the 1999 Columbine High School massacre. He later confessed that he and his brother planned to dismember the bodies of their family, so I did put this in my notes, place them in storage bins and hide them in the attic of their home. He yeah, because, like, neighbors aren't going to smell that. Right. He also stated that he planned to steal the family car, shoot and kill five random people at multiple locations, and eventually achieve a body count of at least 50 people. He talked on the stand about a lonely and sometimes violent childhood. Robert said, We could go months without leaving the house except for to go buy groceries. He also added that his parents often talked about the rapture and the biblical apocalypse as, and I quote, a retribution thing for everything they hated about the world. His parents even warned the children to stay away from the windows in the house to avoid being seen, he said. That's very strange. That is very strange. He said, they told us the world was full of people who wanted to hurt us. Neighbors backed this theory up, saying that the children were all homeschooled and that their parents kept them on a tight leash, forbidding them from playing outside with kids outside the family and homeschooling them. 
Inside the home, his father would punch and kick the, bo- kick the boys and casually remind them that I can kill you anytime I want to, Robert stated. Wow. He also said that his father once drag- dragged him upstairs because he left a light on and that his mother slapped him so hard that it left a mark. When explaining how it all started, he said that he expected Crystal to die quickly and quietly, but she fought back. And he said it wasn't like you see in the movies. From the moment Crystal didn't drop dead from being stabbed in the throat, it was just chaos. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of how things work. Yeah. (laughs) It's not a movie. Yeah. It's real life. You don't think, you know, I guess in the movies, it's just like dead. And like. Okay, there's nine people in this house. Like, mm-hmm. you don't think that one Somebody's of them... Somebody's gonna come after you. One of them? Mm-hmm. Like, th- mm-hmm. do you think that literally you can kill all of these people and not one of them fight you back exactly. or call the police or... I don't know what they're thinking. I guess most of them were probably asleep, so they thought it would be a lot easier than it was. I hate them so much. Yeah, they're disgusting, too. I can't wait to show you pictures because they're the ugliest motherfuckers. Can we make a TikTok making fun of them like we did with Chris Watts? <laughs> yeah. Because There's, fuck these dudes. They look like inbred, like ugly ass <laughs> motherfuckers. I'm sorry, but no offense to the family. Another thing I would like to add to this that I did not put in my, in my notes. I probably did, but I don't think I did. So when Crystal was in the hospital, mm-hmm. not one single family member came to visit her. Zero grandparents aunts uncles no one came to see this child why a police officer sat by her bedside so that she wouldn't wake up alone why i guess they maybe they they you know just what would you call it like uh cut themselves off from all of their family for whatever reason but not a single member of the family came to visit her did they know about it well yeah i'm sure they you know notified first of kin yeah so I that's thought that was so strange. Up. That's fucked up. It's like they isolated themselves and their children from anyone and everyone. It's like, that's not her fault. You know what, what I mean? Crystal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like, not at all. It, it, her grandparents should have been like... Yeah. Like, okay, I get that my child and my daughter-in-law or my son-in-law don't give a shit about us, but this mm-hmm. is my grandchild. Right. Like, I'm going to go see her. She mm-hmm. might die. Yeah. So, um... Where did she go? After that, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you. Okay. So the brothers were charged with five counts of first degree murder and one count of assault and battery with intent to kill. On July 5th, or I'm sorry, July 25th, authorities announced that Michael Bever would be charged as an adult. Good. A a conviction of first degree murder carries the punishment of life imprisonment or the death penalty. Good. However, the Tulsa County District Attorney stated that Michael Bever would would be exempt from the death sentence since he was under the age of 18 at the time of the crime. Bever's attorney argued against the constitutionality of the decision to try Bever as an adult, stating that his client will die in prison and that that is the same as the death penalty. He also tried to argue that Bever should be rehabilitated instead of imprisoned, (laughs) bullshit and if he was physically and emotionally abused at home um saying that you know since he was physically and emotionally abused that's why he should be rehabilitated and not put in jail no excuse a lot of people are abused and they don't kill their family yeah so uh but no 
evidence indicated any abuse occurring ever in the Bever home. I wonder what Crystal would have to say about that. I'm not sure. Robert Bever eventually pleaded guilty to all counts and was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Michael Bever was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. Lame. Robert is currently imprisoned at Joseph Harp Correctional Center in Lexington, Oklahoma, and Michael is in the Lexington Correctional Center. On July 6, 2017, it was reported that Mike or I'm sorry that Robert Bever had attempted suicide by hanging himself with a bed sheet. Lame. Yeah. Medical staff cut him down and checked him, determining that he was uninjured. He was then moved to suicide watch. Good. Mm-hmm. He needs to serve out his sentence and die Absolutely. in prison. I really hope all the other inmates beat the shit out of him. Right. In 2019, uh, he attempted to attack two members of the prison staff with an eight-inch long sharpened instrument, an Oklahoma Department of Corrections incident report stated. One of the staff members, who was a social services specialist, wrapped Bever in a bear hug and ordered him to drop the weapon. Wow. He complied, and the staff member ordered him to the ground. Bever received a record of misconduct coded as inmate on staff assault without serious injury. The vacant Bever home was destroyed in a fire March 18, 2007. A memorial park dedicated to the Bever family and the first responders on the scene now replaces where the home once stood. The park includes a garden and a gazebo, along with a walking path to the nearby Indian Springs Mini Park. That's nice. Mm-hmm. That's I'm sure it was an eyesore for the community, just mm-hmm. seeing that home oh, there. Oh, yeah, and just knowing what happened, what took place in there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The two surviving girls, Crystal and Autumn, were adopted by a Tulsa, Oklahoma family. So. That would be so hard to deal with, like, watching and hearing your family be slaughtered and butchered and having to live with those wounds on your body for the rest of your life to remind you every second of every day but then being adopted into a random family's home Mm -hmm. like i hope there it's a wonderful family and guess what i bet crystal didn't grow up and murder anybody exactly and that is way more traumatic than like your parents maybe slapping you around yeah you know it doesn't even sound like it i mean i will kill you but like i said there was no evidence of that yeah so yeah wow i thought that, that was insane. crazy that was literally so insane yeah like insane mm-hmm. yeah i thought that was a good one because i had never heard it and i'm just like eh. yeah i've definitely never heard of that that's mm-hmm. oh that oh my god i cannot wait to show you the pictures of these inbreds i'm so glad <laughs> that she was adopted with her little sister though i know and i that, get to be together you know what's also sad like crystal who's 13 at the time endured all that trauma Mm -hmm. and autumn the Mm two-year-old didn't even get a chance to know the family so it's like they have two totally different perspectives on what Uh, happened oh yeah i'm sure it's so much easier for the two-year-old and like the and like you know the adopted parents she's just going to view them as her parents Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and crystal Mm -hmm. i'm sure eventually would have to like tell her 
you yeah. know, what happened to their actual family. I tried to look for like updates of Crystal now, but there's nothing. I'm sure she wants to live a very private life and not yeah. have to answer questions and interviews. And, you know, yeah. I would change my name and go as far away as I possibly could. Crystal, if mm-hmm. you're listening to this by chance, we'd like to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Brooke, that was, how did you find that? Like I said, it was just kind of one of those random things I found online. You know, I, I'll i see something interesting. I'm like, yeah, put that one in my notes. And I was going through my notes trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I saw, you know, Broken Arrow Killings. And I was like, let me see what that one was about. And uh, <laughs> Brooke told me she was doing that. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. And she's like, yeah, no, it's not cool at no, all. It's not like cool. At all. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Like, I guess my thing is unsolved deaths and familicide yeah is that how you say it familicide i have no idea you know what i mean though family murders homicide and cyanide before (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know why but that's my thing i think yeah yeah you do really like those i found a list of um female murderers and their zodiac signs and i saved that and i'm gonna look some of them up because you haven't really done any female murders I don't think I have. You're yeah, right. I've done several. Oh, I did. Oh, Jody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And jo- Jody. Jody. Yeah. So that's all, folks. That's all, folks. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week for episode 30. Yes. Um, and in the meantime, you can follow our or join our Facebook group at For God's Sake, Don't Drink the Jones Juice. You can follow our Instagram and TikTok at Don't Drink the Jones Juice. You can buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. Um, be looking out for our posts on Facebook about Patreon mm-hmm. and the poll where we ask you if you care mm-hmm. to hear us talk. Babble. Babylon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Babylon. <laughs> Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I guess that's it for the day. Yeah. 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 Did, did I miss anything? I don't think oh, so. Also, if you want to have a uh, ad yeah. in our episodes, um, let us know and send listener juice. Yes, and your, um, we literally got one while we were recording. By the way, hell so, yeah. yeah! And it was a true crime one, also. Ooh. Yeah, so sweet. So maybe we can do another one soon. Yes. All right. For God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice. <laughs>